0: Amen. God is so good. God is so good. Well, if you're visiting today for the first time, welcome to Spruce Grove Community Church. Now, we're going to worship God this morning. And we're worshiping God to this end that we might be changed. It says in 2 Corinthians, it says that as we behold him, as we see him, we're changed. This is our hope. This is our only hope. God is not asking you to be better. He's expecting you to be better, but He's not asking you to be better. He's asking you to come into change, and He's saying the only way to get change is drawing near to Him. So He's asking you, draw near to me. He so said, listen, I sent my son. And I, I, I paid for your sin. I paid for what's wrong with you with my, the blood of my son so you can draw near to me, so you can be changed. We're here today to practice, to perfect what does it take to draw near to him. How do we draw near to him? We're learning from others. We're learning from the scriptures. We're learning by, by crying out to him. But this is, this is, our, this is our key objective this morning. And on the other side, God is looking for simple worshipers, ones who want to draw near. Do you think we could fill that criteria today? Father, I pray today that as we draw near to you, that we will find you in a measure that we've never found you before. Father, you who are infinite in beauty, you who are so 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 very good you are so so very good oh god and we say we're not going to fear or draw near to you because the blood of jesus gives us boldness to say you are our father even if i don't fully know what that means god i want to say i want to draw near to you and i want to be changed today can you say amen all right let's draw near i feel that there's a call in the room a call out of disillusionment a call out of discouragement a call out of the false belief that you know what I did everything I was supposed to do and God you never came through for me you know there's a spirit of discouragement that is coming to attack so many people and it takes humility humility to find God Because you have to begin to believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. When you stop believing that he is a rewarder of those who seek him, when you begin to believe that, well, I sought him and he didn't come through, you've begun to depart into disillusionment. And God is saying, come out. I never stop working. I never stop reaching out for you. I never stop looking for you. There is a prescribed way, and you can find it if you seek for me with all your heart. But believe me, he says, I'm not a liar. When you seek for me with all your heart, you will find me. This is the promise. You will find me. You never stop working. You're a good, good God. You never stop working. Come on, let's cry out to Him. I believe. I believe you never stop working. I believe you're a good, good God. I believe. Oh God, we want to say, You are the answer to our cry. You are the one that we seek. You're the one that we want. You're the one that we need. You are the desire of all nations. Oh, God. Father, thank you for your goodness. We pray that today you would increase our capacity to follow after you. In Jesus' name. God is trying to make us seekers. And every worship experience that we enter into, it can be likened to a hike, a hike up a mountain. Chris and I were just talking about this the other day. You know, what determines how far you go in your hike? You know, how, far, how high up the mountain do you go? You know one of the first things that, it is, that, that, that determines it? Where do you start? Well, somebody says, well, at the bottom. No, not everybody starts at the bottom. You actually live, and we all live, at different levels in the mountain of God based on our spiritual capacity and our gifting. Not everybody lives completely in the flesh, and not everybody lives completely in the spirit. We have measures of the experience of God and what we walk in every day. And you should know that if you've been a Christian for more than a few months. There's days when you come in higher And there's days when you come in lower. What if that was real? What if there was actually a place on the mountain of God that you started from in your journey? So where you start is very important. So that means, you know, what are you doing the rest of the week? And we're not going to talk about that, but it's a big question. It's a big, big question. But the other thing is, how badly do you want to ascend do you really have the desire to give yourself to this journey? And the, th- the third thing is, how much time do you want to give to this? You know, Chris was saying, when, when he used to take the kids to, to Banff and they go on this hike. Can't hear you. Oh, well, you told them last, last week. I'll tell you it again. <laughs> you know, he said, we, we go to this place and it was always our turnaround point. Well, you know, in worship, you have a turnaround point. You have, you have, there's a place, a marker in your mind and your experience that says, this is about as good as it gets. And when you get to where you think it's as good as it gets, you're like, okay, let's change it up. Let's do something different. Let's go to the Word now. Let's, uh, let's uh, do the announcements, the offering, whatever. Let's get out of here. Got some dinner later. What if there was no limit except that which you set? What if, what if we barely are touching 2% of the possibilities of the presence of God that could come in the room based on whether we ascended into the mountain or not? That is the reality. We are the ones that leave the bread of life on the table, not Him. He is waiting for those who seek. So, Father, I pray that you would make us a church that is hungry for more. That, God, we would be willing to explore the heights and the depths and the width of the love of God, of the beauty that could be manifest in any single point on the earth. Lord, that your glory would be poured out here. God, make us this kind of people, Father, we pray. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord. Are you guys ready for Pastor Mark? All right, come on up. I'm I'm ready too. All right, wow, hallelujah, hallelujah! Father, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you, God, that you are making us uh, into your hand extended to the world around us. Father, we thank you that you are transforming us and changing us to be agents of. Change, thank you, Father. Amen. Well, as I was coming in today into this service, um, I began to th- I began to feel a couple of things, and I was thinking about this. You know, sometimes we uh, we treat church like we do restaurants, and um, and by that I mean, you know, we we go and we enjoy what the church is serving. Even though, you know, we're very quick to say, well, the church isn't a building, it's a people. Yet, it's not always all the people. Sometimes it's just some of the people. In other words, you know, sometimes we, we take this detached approach where, where you know, we'll see what the worship team is serving up today. I want you to know that the worship team can't serve up more than you are prepared to grab. That, that your entering, your hunger, your passion in worship determines how far the worship team can go it's never an independent thing i mean i mean even jesus was limited to that i mean jesus could do amazing things right i mean he raised the dead right healed blind eyes opened deaf ears right the cast out demons did all kinds of amazing things but as soon as he went to his old hometown it says suddenly he could do no mighty works there what What are you talking about? That's Jesus. That's the Son of God. Sure He can. No, He couldn't. He could not. Why? Because of the unbelief. The faith of the people, not just the administration of the ministry gifts from the pulpit, determine the manifestation of the kingdom of heaven. so, So we are not, as it were, restaurateurs, you know, who just foodies who just show up to see, okay, what are you serving up here? And What are you serving up here? What are you serving up here? What is served up is contingent upon the clientele. And we are the clientele. Now, God has ordained it this way because of a passage in 2 Corinthians 3 that says He has made us able ministers of the covenant. And what that means is this, is that is that unlike a restaurant where you go to a restaurant, you eat, but you, ne- you may never want to cook or you may never want to serve in a restaurant, you may never want to own a restaurant, in the kingdom of God, that which is being done for you, you must and will do for others, that that is the only trajectory that there is. Okay? So when I go to a restaurant, you know, I can, yeah, I can critique the restaurant. I can decide to pay or not, you know, for, for this food or go to this restaurant or not go to that one. But when it comes to the kingdom of God, everything I'm tasting, everything I'm experiencing in the church, I am called to give to others. And so there's a there's a, a transmission so that I become the servant. I become the one who brings the food. I become the one who prepares the food. I become the one who chops the vegetables. I become, we are the ones. We are meant to be ministers of the covenant. So we're going to get into a little bit more of that. I want to share a little bit, though, for a couple of minutes, just about. Uh, I do have an article coming out which will uh, talk about some of these things. But I was just in Singapore, and uh, it was an amazing time. It was, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, so it was a a beautiful time. Now, what made it beautiful? What made it beautiful was the family. One of the things I've realized is that what spiritual maturity does for you is spiritual maturity uh, allows you to connect deeply with more and more people. You know, when I was a young Christian, I was, I found people who thought differently than me a bit of a downer. (laughs) You know, I I remember I I, I was at the at the time. You know, the we we were the charismatics. We were the spirit field, tongue talking, miracle working. You know, or looking to make miracles. You know, kinds of people. And so, as soon as I heard somebody doesn't believe in any of this stuff for today, I thought, What is about? How can you even be Christian? I suspect you might be from Satan. (laughs) And on the other side, they're like, I suspect you might be from Satan. (laughs) <laughs> and, and so, you know, there's, this, there's, this, there's not enough common ground for us to have fellowship. And uh, and so I, I discovered that as, as I grow spiritually that I have a capacity to have more and more fellowship with more and more people. And when you get people who don't have a bunch of landmines around them, and they also have the capacity to have deep fellowship, you know what you get? Deep fellowship. Not a lot of barriers. You know, it doesn't take six months to feel one another out and say, you know, are you safe? uh, Can I be real? Can I be authentic? What what can't I say in this context? What can I say? Uh, Are you going to hate me if I do this? You know, are you quick to write me off? The quality of love, the maturing of love makes you a magnet for people who need to be loved. And so the beauty of of being in a place like this with I mean you know not everybody was absolutely completely over the top mature. it was a representation of the body of Christ, many key apostolic prophetic leaders from 30, 40, 50 nations but but we, uh, we, had a, we had all kinds of levels of maturity and whatnot, but it was it was just rich with the presence of God and while I was there i'm thinking I'm thinking, man i uh, how do I?" How do I bring this home? How do I illustrate for our body? Because there are dynamics in the worship, there are dynamics in, in the time together. What the, the atmosphere made certain things possible. I thought, oh, I wish we, I wish that would come up. I wish that would manifest in our home church. But I thought, but I thought, you know what? There's there's some things about this that some people would struggle with, not because they're theologically off, but because we're proud. Last night I went to a meeting. Um, Charlie Robinson was sharing. And uh, uh, where's Murray? I went, Murray and I went. And uh, Charlie is a revivalist. And he was saying, last night it was kind of funny. He said, you know, I have a thorn in the flesh. I said, you know, I know what Paul's thorn in the flesh was. It was a messenger of Satan coming to buffet him. So lest he be exalted above measure because of the amount of visions and, and experiences he had. He said, well, that's not my thorn in the flesh. My thorn in the flesh is God wants me to be utterly foolish. And, uh, and you, may, you, may, you guys may like me, but a lot of people don't because of this. But, you know, I, I, I love that characteristic about him. And Paul says, we are fools for Christ's sake. And God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And so there's an element, if you want to be sophisticated, if you want to appear together, if you want to look like you know what you're doing, then you will be clearly limited around what you can enter in the things of the Spirit, because it requires foolishness to get in. Wow. So, God, make me more foolish. Make me more willing to be a fool. I don't want to be a fool for fool's sake, right, which can be done. But uh but anyway I found myself really thinking oh god how do I how do I grab a hold of this moment how do I grab how do I how do I get you know without people being here and they can't be here and I don't want to say you should have been there cuz you couldn't be there but on the other hand how do I how do I how do I pull us into this thing and I was I was thinking well you know maybe I could Make a little video, or well, I thought well, I can't make videos. Maybe I could take a photo. Well, photos are okay, but you know, maybe I could record some of the worship. But I thought, you know, I've done that before, and it doesn't have the same effect. I show things to Wendy all the time. And she's like, "Yeah, I think you had to be there." <laughs> <laughs> it's true, you had to be there. But there, there are, there are things that I want us to go into. And so I was thinking, how do I capture this moment? How do I package this moment and bring it back and present it in such a way that all of us will want to run headlong into what God is doing without any caveats, without any restrictions, without any resistance, and just say, God, we want everything that you have. And, And the Lord stopped me, and he said, he said, Mark, you are the answer. You are the answer. And I thought, uh, and I knew right away what he was saying. And I'm going to try and break this down for us. But it was really interesting because one of the scriptures I'm going to read to you is from Second uh, Corinthians 3. It says this. It says, Paul's writing. He's talking about the Corinthian church. He said, you are our epistle written in our hearts known and read by men. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is of the heart. Now, this, this scripture reflects a promise in Jeremiah that God said, I'm going to write, I'm going to give you a new heart, and I'm going to write my law upon your hearts. Well, when the Lord stopped me that way, I re- suddenly remembered this word that Wendy had said last year or the year before. And I can't remember what we were doing. And, and if she's here, I'm probably going to say this wrong, but you know, she remembers the details. I only remember the moment. But basically, she said. You know, we were talking about my travel schedule and she said she said, you know, I actually I actually like it when Marx goes to gatherings. And she said, because and I can't remember whether it was just me, but she says she said, You always come back a better man. And I I I thought, this is what the Lord is saying. He's saying, Listen, you you would want to make the container a program. You would want to make it, you would want to enshrine glorious things in an article or in a video or in a song and all of those things can carry the glory of God in a measure but he's saying this he said he said what I have designed to carry my glory is mankind that you are my vessel that my glory in earth and vessels is what I'm using to this is my preferred packaging you are my hard drive that I'm encrypting with the knowledge of God that makes you distinct from every other people on the face of the earth. You are the evidence that God is alive. Now we know that, right? We, we, we know that. You know, Paul says, you know, who who? how will they hear without a preacher? How, how will they hear if, unless somebody is sent? Jesus talked about, you know, those who... Go and visit the poor or feed the poor and those who, who go to prisons and, and take care of people. He said, he said listen, if, if you don't do it, nobody's going to do it. You are the means through which God is. And not you, the anonymous church. Right? We always love that. Yeah, well, the church. <laughs> you are the church. If you know to do something better than somebody else, then do it. Yeah, well, I don't have... Never mind. Do it. Do it. Love. Give. Share. Extend your life. If you're concerned about a certain class of people, then reach out to them. You are meant to be a minister of the covenant. Well, anyway. So I want to read a, a passage. Turn to Second Samuel Six, because this this truth is is illustrated here, really powerfully. And uh, and the the uh, the context is that David wants to bring the ark uh, up to Israel, up to Jerusalem. And it says, uh, I won't read. Well, I'll read most of them. First two It says, and David rose and went up with all the people who were with him from Baal. Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God, whose name is called by the name the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim. So they set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which is on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drove the new cart, and they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which is on the hill, accompanying the ark of God. And Ahio went before the ark. Then David and all the house of Israel played music before the Lord on all kinds of instruments and fur, wood, on harps, on string instruments, on tambourines, on on sistrums, on cymbals. Now, let me pause there for a second. You have to realize what went into this. David is a man after God's own heart, and David is thinking the ark of God needs to be in Jerusalem. It needs to be back there. They were bringing it back from the lands of the Philistines, where it had been taken captive. You know, during the, the rule of Saul, on the day that Saul and Jonathan died, and you know, around that season there, and and he wants to bring it back. But David is a peculiar kind of worshipper. I mean, these instruments he's talking about, these, the all these, he he developed new instruments. He actually made new musical sounds. Why would he make new musical sounds? Because David was a prophetic worshipper. He heard sounds. When he worshipped God, when he ascended that's the, the, the place of the, the hill of the Lord and he wrote about the, that ascension, when he wrote, ascended, he heard conversations between the Godhead. He heard the Father talking to the Son and the Son talking back to the Father. And he wrote those things. But he also heard sounds. And he thought, I thought, I've heard sounds and I don't know how to make them. You know, uh, when they were making the Star Wars movie, uh, I saw this little ditty on 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 how they got some of the weird sounds, and you know you know the, the what those the guns, the little phasers, what are they, the blasters yeah, and they, they got that pew, 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 pew. and I, I, I saw a little documentary about the guy who was looking for sounds to represent these non existent weapons, so he needed to find unusual sounds. Right, you, need, you don't want to use a gun. You don't want to use any conventional. You have to do something that's, that's out there. So in this case, he actually went to these, these um, you know, when you have these telephone towers and you have the wires, the guide wires that go to the ground. So actually he flicked one of those and, and he recorded that. And that was the sound that became the sound of the blasters from a, a metal guide wire. Because he he had in his mind a sound that was going to represent that. Well, David had sounds. He had heard sounds that he knew were not earthly. He knew there were sounds that, that were somehow connected. He didn't know how to worship God perfectly, but his heart was, I'm going to leave everything that we do right now, and I'm going to uh, Add to everything we do something we haven't done before because I begin to discover as I'm entering God's presence, there are noises, there are sounds that I believe are important to reproduce in our worship. So it's not like, you know, he was doing this thing lightly. I mean, he was paying careful attention to what he was doing. Apparently, not enough, though. Apparently, not enough. Now, I'm pausing here because of this. Because we need to realize that in our journey, and I alluded to it at the beginning of the worship, that there are things that are outside of our knowledge. There are things we do not know. And one of the worst pits you can fall into is coming to the place where you say to God, when he says, seek my face, when you you actually think and believe and say back to him in your heart, I did that, and it didn't work. That's one of the greatest causes of disillusionment, but it's actually the pinnacle of unbelief, and it begins with a, an essential departure from what it means to believe. He said, without faith, it's impossible to please God, for one must believe that he is, okay, got that part, but the second part is must believe that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. In other words, the criteria is that you diligently seek him. And according to the Old Testament, we see these words that when you seek me with all your heart, you'll find me. But then we seek and we don't find him, and we conclude we did it right. We did it right. And we would probably never say God is bad, we'd probably never say, well, this is useless. We, we, but we never actually come to the point where we think the error is on my side. Why? Because we're aware of our emotional calibration where we're thinking, oh, I want God. And, and in our minds, there's no measure of wanting God more than what you have right now because it's an unquantifiable commodity. I say, to you want God more? You say, well, I've wanted God as much as I want God. Well, do it more. I don't know how. And that's that's the problem. That's the tension: is we don't know how we've reached our max, and God is saying there's more, and it can be had. But there's a process beyond reaching the limits of what you already know. Are you willing to discover that, or are you going to default back to, yeah, it doesn't work? When my kids, you know, I said, you know, when they were younger, I said, okay, go clean your room. And I, you know, two minutes later, they're back playing Legos. Did you clean your room? Yeah. Did you clean it right? Yeah. Do I believe them? (laughs) Absolutely not. Because I'm a much better cleaner than than that, and it would take me much longer to actually do an appropriate job of this. So, and it's not, they're not always lying. They might be lying, or they might just be, you know, the focus of the Lego has inhibited their ability to really see the room. And so, of course, the journey with your children is you go and then you show them what is missing. And so here's the question. Do we have the desire strong enough to know or want to know what is missing? And this is, this is a profound thing. Because there's, there's a people that keep coming to God's refining table and there's a people that stop coming. And the people that stop coming to God's refine, refining table stop getting refined. So I, I shared this quote yesterday a few times. It kind of stuck with me. It was, it was um, a quote from the Oilers head coach. And they were talking about the, the line of Dreisaitl and, and McDavid. If you're not a hockey fan, I'm sorry. If you're a Boston fan, I'm really sorry. But uh, somebody said the coach, you know, they were saying, talk about tweaking that, that, that great combination. And the coach, coach normally would say, well, you know, if it ain't broke, don't, uh, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But he said this, and I love this quote. He said, if it ain't broke, you're not looking hard enough. In other words, there's always another level. There's always something that can be tweaked. And, I, and I'm thinking, goodness, if only the church, if only we in our journey with God would take that attitude. But what I, what I realize is that sometimes underneath this journey that we have, as we are, we are like David, doing our utmost... You know, being careful as much as we know to be careful. We topped out. We've come to the full. Fo- this is all I presently know. Therefore, I am convinced I've done everything possible. But there, there is this hu- bridge of humility that says, maybe I didn't do it fully. And what keeps us from taking that bridge is fear and insecurity. Fear and insecurity because, you know, we like to hide behind the, the anonymity of subjectivity, I call it. I just made that up. <laughs> and, and what I mean by that is, that is that because faith is a subjective thing, because, you know, pouring yourself fully... Following after God with all your heart. There's no out, you know, there's no device I can say. There's an electronic thing I can come, you know, like an electrician. Who's, well, you got this many volts. There's no, you know, heart meter I can say. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, no, no, no. No, you're only at 20%. Like, so I can't objectively show that to you. So because we have fear, because we want to communicate, no, I'm doing everything effectively. I'm seeking God with all my heart. It's just not coming through and I don't know why. And I guess I just have to wait longer or be satisfied with what I have. It's because you can hide behind the subjectivity of spirituality. We do that all the time. Well, the Lord told me to do this. Yeah, well, I guess there's no argument for that, you know. You know, if the Lord told you, and he told you to do that, and it keeps turning out badly, yeah, I got no comeback for that. I guess you're stuck then. But when you begin to realize that maybe, maybe it wasn't totally the Lord, maybe it was a preference, maybe I, maybe I don't hear God perfectly. Maybe somebody else could help me. Maybe there's a possibility that I don't see everything. Wow. Do you know that the Pharisees were the people who were convinced in the day of Jesus that they saw clearly? And so Jesus' message to them was because you say you see, your sin or your defect will remain. See, this is the scenario. David here is doing this thing. He's doing it with the utmost sincerity, right? He's pouring his emotion into it. This is a wonderful thing he's doing, and he's thinking, God is going to be so pleased. Man, nobody ever did stuff like I'm doing. And how is, how is like, this is the mindset David could have had. And I did all of that, and how was I rewarded? Uzzah is dead. Everybody ever feel like that? I did it right, but now nothing's working. Verse 6. When they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it. For the oxen stumbled. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah. God struck him there for his error. And he died there by the ark of the Lord. And David became angry. David became angry. Frustrated. Like, I mean, I, I get all these new instruments. I've I've found these songs. I've I've dedicated myself to this stuff, and and this is what I get. And I can hear God saying, listen. I appreciate your efforts, David. I I appreciate the fact that you are, you, you seek me like nobody else. But the fact even that you seek me like nobody else does, is not a guarantee that you seek me as I should to be sought. And even the highest measure, the very best efforts a man can put forward is no guarantee that the the criteria of heaven is being satisfied. And this is the question we have to ask ourselves. Am I going to live my life trying to justify myself or am I saying there are things I don't see and I believe that if I were seeking God the way he'd prescribe, I would find him? Or am I going to hide Behind this subjectivity, this anonymity that's empowered by subjectivity. Well, you know, nobody really knows what the issue is. Well, I may not know what your exact issue is. But I know one thing. There is a right way. And I'm not here to accuse anybody. I'm not here to say, you're doing this wrong, you're doing this. Because I don't know. I, I, I have no clue exactly what it's going to take. And some of our journeys, you know, there, there's, there's pride, there's unbelief, there's, there's stuff deep in our hearts. And sometimes it just takes, takes time before you are de- more desperate to get through this than you are fearful of facing it. But this is where we go between. I'm, I'm not desperate enough to look bad because that compromises my sense of myself, my image. See, this thing that, it's, it's, a, it's a common issue in terms of what's going on in our hearts, but in David's life, I mean, it was touching a pattern of the kingdom of God that God wanted to amplify in this moment. He said, David, man, I, I love you. I, I love what you're doing. You're doing a great thing. But, man, you put the ark on a cart, you put the ark on a cart this this contravenes the, the essential pattern i'm trying to display to my church that's coming many thousands of years after you and the the image you need to be like the the glory has to be carried on the on the shoulders of the priests the glory this is not just you know oh what's the difference an ark or, you know as long as it gets there no like who are we to belittle certain parts of the criteria that are not important to us. I mean, can you see the? You start thinking about it, it's like, man, that's tremendous hubris. That yeah, yeah, but I really, I really did it with great sincerity. I, I, I really felt this, you know. I, I, you know, A, A, Cain and Abel, right? Cain says, but I, I poured my life into those fruit. And I brought it to you, and you, you cast it off, you turned it away. I mean, Abel, he didn't put nears. I had to weed, I had to water. Like he shows up every couple of days to make sure his sheep are still alive. I had to put a lot more work in him, and God said, "Listen, I require this pattern, And part of what I'm looking for is a humility in people who care more about my criteria than theirs. And so we're in this journey. And let me and this is the this is the this is the promise of it. There is treasure at the end of the rainbow. There is a way. There is a breakthrough. The promise is sure. This song that we kept singing over and over, and I I love it, it's saying, Listen, God is good. God is good. You don't ever have to doubt that. You just doubt yourself. Doubt yourself. Oh, yeah, but I I tithed in everything. I mean, I've heard it all, man. I've heard it all. All all the reasons why people aren't going to church anymore, all the reasons why people aren't serving the Lord. And you know what? I wish I could bridge that gap for everyone. But at some point, what you're coming face to face with is idolatry of self versus worship. That's the essential thing that is being put on the cross every time you think you did everything right and God didn't come through, I guarantee you, you're not looking hard enough. Yeah, but I can't see. Well, then then we get into James chapter 1. If you lack wisdom, ask. (laughs) What, What is James 1 about? It's about this very thing. You got people who can't go any further, and they're frustrated by that, and, so, and they don't know why things aren't working for them. I'm telling you, they are not working because you're not doing it right. That should not be a condemnation. If that is a condemnation, then the position of your heart is idolatrous. Your own walk is an idol you're presenting to the Lord. No, he doesn't require you to be right. Just humble. Just willing to say you're right. I'm wrong. You're right. I'm wrong. You're right. I'm wrong. Now, I camped on this point for a long time. I wasn't meaning to spend that much time there. But what I want to say is this and it does tie in to this whole thing because because when I was in Singapore, and I was uh, in that meeting, I thought, I thought, oh, the beauty of God. If I, I want everybody to experience the beauty of God, and then, and then, of course, I'm thinking of artificial ways to package this. And when the Lord showed me, they said, "No, you are my container." I, I suddenly remembered. I remember back as being a young Christian. I remember meeting a variety of older people. Now I'm among you, but. Uh, you know, the older people is us now. We were the younger ones before. Now we're older. Not that old, but, you know, older. But I remember meeting older Christians, and largely they were passionless. Largely they were, they were like, you know, it's like somebody is, well, we've done this before. And there was no excitement. There was no freshness. There was, you know, there was faithfulness, regularity, which is great, you know if you had the option of nothing at all, <laughs> right? But then I started meeting these people from time to time who had something unusual about them. And they all started talking about the same thing. They, st- they started talking. These are people across the plains of Canada, so they always talked about North Battleford. They talked about, man, I was in North Battleford. That, the Spirit of God was poured out. And, they, and when they started talking about it, man, they started... You could tell you know, there's there's a there's an ignition inside of them, a fire, a presence, a vitality that that wow wow this is and uh, what uh, and I couldn't make any sense of it again. But but you're old, you know this thing. These are not everybody else I've met is different than you. You are different than them. I remember meeting this jeweler. In uh, in our church in Surrey, and he uh, he actually uh, fixed my room ring for me for free. And he I don't know he liked me. But i remember talking about him, and every time his eyes would start to park, sparkle when he talked about worshiping God. He started talking about the presence and the glory, and he would just get all excited. And it's like it's like. It, it became a now moment as though that thing that had transpired even 30, 40, like the pinnacles of his experiences were 30, 40 years old. But as soon as he began to talk about it, it was like now. It hadn't faded, not an iota. As soon as he began to refer to it, this started to come up into his face and his eyes. And, he, and he, they functioned that way all the time. And the, these guys, I mean, it's not discipline. It's not discipline. Every prayer meeting. They, they got into a prayer meeting and they, because they went to, what happened to them 30 years ago opened up a moment that they could revisit any day of their life. And, they, and when they did, it emanated from them. And the Lord was saying to me this. He said, said Mark, you are my container. I want my glory to be in earthen vessels, that you are my message. And it's great that there's a song, it's great that there's a sermon, it's great that there's a social media meme or a video or, or wh- a recording of some kind, but my ultimate inscription pattern is you. I want to write on your heart a, a, a living reality of who I am that you will never depart from you, will always remain. It will never grow old, it will never simmer down. And when you have that, I guarantee you, just like me, meeting these older people, I thought, I thought, you're not regular old people. A few years from now, I'm going to be an old person. And I want to have that impact on people's lives where they look at me and say, like, you know, shouldn't you be asleep by now? <laughs> but there's this uncommon energy and zeal that consumes me. The zeal for, for his house is consuming me. God is distinguishing himself through a people. And you are that people. You are God's scrapbook. You are God's, you know, canvas that he's wanting to display his glory in. And the only thing that can stop the improvements of that canvas is you saying, ah, uh, I tried that. And he's saying, come on, try harder. Do you believe? Do you believe that there's an answer, that there's more, that there's power, that there's, there's healing, that there's, there's a presence? Do you believe that there is something that you can touch And if you believe, you will never stop, never stop, never stop seeking. See, our God is a God, and we say it in the song, He never stops working, never stops, never stops working. And He's saying, I just need a people who never stop, never stop seeking. These two will be made for each other. The name of our event in Singapore was called The Arrow. And uh, as we were talking about The Arrow... This is the word that God made, said to me. He says, "He says, you are my arrow. The arrow isn't an institution. The arrow isn't a, a, a thought or a philosophy or or even a, even just a revelation. The you are my arrow. My arrow is revelation inside earthen vessels. You know, there's a scripture in the Psalms that says that sons, I think it means daughters as well, but." Specifically, it says, sons are like arrows in a quiver. And God is saying, you are my arrow that I am shaping, that I am forming. And there's an arrow I'm preparing for this generation that will change a nation, that will change a city. And so you only have to ask the question, are you changing your city at the same pace Jesus was? And if you're not, then there's more to be found. Oh, yeah, but I'm busy with life. I'm busy with a business. I'm busy with kids. I'm busy. Yes, yes, we're all busy. It's a question of treasure and perceived value. He is the pearl of great price. And there's more to be had. There's more to be found. he's, he's, He's looking. He's saying, yeah, anybody want this? Anybody at all? Anybody? You think, well, yeah, but I, I did that for weeks. <laughs> this journey is is much longer. Much longer. And that's okay. Because the treasure is much greater than we thought it was at the beginning. So, Father, I pray today that you would open our eyes to the treasure that awaits for those that believe. Father, I pray you open our eyes to the possibilities, God, that the imminence of breakthrough and transformation that the imminence, God, of a whole new plateau of Christian living, Father, is not something for the next generation or 50 years or 100 years from now, and it's not something for 70 years ago, but it's something for right now. God, I pray that we would be a people that could seize the moment, that we would believe, that we would believe that you are a rewarder of those who diligently seek you. I want us to resolve something today. Can we do that? I presented this challenge to to our the, the prayer, people who are praying in the in the fellowship hall before the service, but i i was I was exhorting us. Listen, we all have a measure of what we think seeking God looks like, and there's always a turnaround point. When you send your kids to get a can of beans. When you send your kids to look for their shoes, there's a, there's a max amount of time that they think where they have satisfied the need of seeking and they come back and say, I can't find it. What do you say to them? Look harder. Did you check under the bed? Did you check in the closet where all the other shoes are? <laughs> right? And, and it ends up being, you know, very elementary answers. But what they didn't have was the capacity to believe that if they saw it a little longer, it would be found. That's the same challenge that we have. So decide today. I'm going to be the one that's in the error. I'm going to to say, God, if this is not working, I'm doing it wrong. I'm not looking hard enough. Show me. Help me. God, I, I, I want to break free of the insecurity that says, I did it and I did it right. And how dare you... Impugn my integrity by suggesting that I didn't seek God with all my heart. Did you not see me crying? Okay, so either God's a liar or you're a liar. Mm -hmm. I think he's. Let God be true, and every man a liar. That's what it says in Romans, I think. Let God be true. Let's say it together. Let God be true. Let's all say it together. Let God be true, and every man a liar. Let God be true, and every man a liar. God is true. God is true. Let's worship him. I I just got to... Can you hear me? I just got to say this. In Singapore, after that moment, I just explained to you, we sang a song. You know what song we sang? This one. I didn't tell him to sing this song. I didn't even know he knew this song. But this is the song we sang in Singapore right after this revelation. God spoke to me about this. Can you say... That God is real. That there's a trajectory we're on. That there's something beyond our understanding. I mean it's a simple thing. But it's just a little witness. That we're not just floating in the dark here. We're on to something. I want to close with this. Ah, It's an assurance. The Bible describes God. As the just Judge, the just judge. You know, if you're working for a company and you're doing the best job, but somebody else gets the promotion, you can think, yeah, human error. Even if you're right, that's a possibility. Likelihood is you're not right, but even if you are right, human error. When it comes to receiving or not receiving, From the just judge of all. His judgment is perfect. He doesn't miss a beat. He knows everything that's in your heart. He knows the criteria he needs. He knows what he's after in your life. He knows what it's going to take to break you. He knows what's too much. He knows what's too little. You are being treated exactly the way you need to be treated to get you where he wants you to be. That you can take to the bank. That you can trust. He is the just judge of all. So I'm going to close by saying this. Father, we throw ourselves on your mercy. We throw ourselves on your goodness. And we say, God, we will not, we will not pull back from our marriage. We will not pull back from our jobs. We will not pull back from relationships. We will not pull back from our church. We will not pull back from any circumstance because you know how to deal with us. And we trust that the enemy is not manipulating our lives, but you are. You know, you know, you know, and you are good. This is the bottom line. Can you say that? This is the bottom line. From this time forward, this truth is going to be the orientation of my life. I believe you are good. So I'll sing it one more time, and then you're dismissed. The altars will be open. If you want prayer, come forward. The ministry team will be here.